Well, I want to uh, welcome those who may be viewing this video. Uh, we're on the 28th of February, 2020. And my name is Dan Houghton. I have the privilege of sitting down with uh, Dr. Wes Youngberg, my good friend. And uh, we are just going to be talking about uh, the issues related to the coronavirus, which that uh, whole issue is sweeping our world, I believe, over 50 countries now. Uh, 59 West. countries 59 affected countries. as of today. And we're sitting here in our own church. This is our Fallbrook Seventh-day Adventist Church, where we're both members, and uh, this is our worship community. Um, but not every church, not every school has the privilege of having someone like a Dr. Wes Youngberg in their midst. So we decided to sit down and just talk right. and talk about what this means. And, and uh, Wes, give just a little bit of a background. I'm going to, Dr. Youngberg, yes, but I'm going to go back and forth with Wes. We're just friends here talking. I want you to give anybody who might be watching this a little bit of an idea of why this is pa a passion to you, what your background, and your education, your study on this is. Well, I uh, became very interested in health uh, when I was a young kid in my early teenage years. Uh, and uh, my mother uh, was diagnosed with cancer. We were missionaries in South America. And uh, to make a long story short, that changed my life. That made me very aware that life can be taken from you. You know, the people that you care the most about can be taken away from you at a moment's notice. And uh, so I became very interested in health. I became very interested in the Seventh-day Adventist health message. I read, uh, and as an eighth grader, I read the book Ministry of Healing, and it, it just instilled within me a deep passion to learn how to be healthy, not just to stay healthy, but to regain health once lost. And so those are critical issues that are before us as we're, as, as uh, globally, we're faced with a very significant threat to our health and the health of our family members, especially those family members that are most at risk, that have underlying medical conditions like diabetes, which we have discussed yes. uh, many times, and, and um, uh, like heart disease and, and COPD or asthma or other lung conditions. Those are the people that are that are dying at a very high case fatality rate uh, when exposed and infected with the new novel coronavirus or COVID-19 virus. So, so we, we, it's important that people wake up. Uh, I've been talking to every patient every day. I've been talking to church members and I get this deer in the headlights there from them like, what? No, I heard on TV that it was no big deal. And, or on and, the other hand, you might hear someone freaking out I know you can't buy anywhere in Southern California right now the masks, the N95 masks that are sold out. Uh, people are scrambling everywhere. So on the one hand, you have those who uh, say there's no problem. And then the other hand, you have people that are freaking out. Right. And, and of course, freaking out is the worst thing you can do because if, if you're stressed out at a time like this, it actually depresses your immune system such that now you're more susceptible to be infected and more susceptible, if infected, to develop serious complications. So, so we, we need to look at this uh, uh, from a realistic perspective, but then we need to come up with strategies that have been shown in the past from, from the, the Spanish flu epidemic yes. of 1918 to be very successful, and we can share that information. Now, our, our goal tonight is not to do a six-hour marathon of, of uh, why it's important and what to do about it, how to pre prevent being infected, how to manage and, and treat infections. 
That has already been done in this church a month ago. You know, four weeks ago, February the 1st, we had a two-hour and 10 minutes. That's when the, that's when the video cut out, that's but right. we actually that's went longer right. than that uh, presentation. Uh, and I know, right. I think there's somewhere north of 8,000 people that have watched that on YouTube. And I know I had one friend tell me today that they had shared it with over 100 people. So a month ago, you were doing that. And I just, before we jump into this, there's one more thing I want to say. Um, as a businessman, and very concerned about the spiritual health of myself and my, and my friends and the people that I care about, I have, as a matter of philosophy, never, ever wanted to make a decision based on fear. Right. Okay. When you start making decisions in the business world based on fear, or even in the spiritual world based on fear, it's not going to turn out necessarily so well. But an abundance of caution, being realistic, as you said a moment ago, and saying, okay, what do we need to do to appropriately handle this? Now, some people right now, because of the politics in our, in our country and in the world, wish this would go away. And of course, we all wish that it wasn't happening. And at the, on the other hand, there are people who are, you know, they see a boogeyman behind every bush. I think we're gonna be trying to look at what is real and what are strategies that a local church can use and what are strategies that a school can use. And so that's the approach on abundance of caution. Absolutely, absolutely. And that, let me just, uh, first let me just say a little bit about my background for maybe individuals that aren't, aren't aware of the type of work that I do. I actually, uh, because of my interest in lifestyle medicine, I chose to take a, maybe a track that was different than most and ended up getting the doctorate of public health in preventive care, which is essentially lifestyle medicine. And I had the privilege um, about, about 16 years ago to be one of the founding uh, directors of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. I'm a fellow with that organization. I also have a master's in nutrition, but I have a lot of background in epidemiology because you have to if you're gonna do a doctorate in public health. Yeah. And, and, and so the, we need to actually listen to what the experts, the, the professors at Harvard and the mathematic modelers at Los Alamos National Laboratory, what they're saying based on, on information that they've been able to glean over the years and decades and optimizing the way they can forecast, they can project into the yes. future very precisely what is about to happen. So let me just read a couple things real quick yeah. that, that come from medical journals. Here, January the 31st, The Lancet, one of the best medical journals in the world, published a, a report by Dr. Gabriel Leung and, and colleagues at University of Hong Kong. And they were extremely concerned about what had been happening for the previous month or more in China. So, so we're good three months out now, yep. and, and we're seeing, uh, we're reaping the whirlwind right now in, on February the 28th, and we need to get serious about this. So this is what he said okay. uh, uh, essentially uh, four weeks ago. Unless substantial public health in interventions at both the population and personal levels are implemented immediately, independent, self-sustaining outbreaks, outbreaks in major cities globally could become inevitable because of substantial exportation of pre-symptomatic cases. Preparedness plans and mitigation interventions should be readied immediately. 
Now, this is something that was shared with the entire world four weeks ago. And, and there's still people that aren't paying attention to this. Still people at high levels, still, still a lot of doctors or, or media people are still thinking, ah, no, 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 this is no worse than the common flu. In fact, the common flu has killed more people. Let me put that concern to rest. It's true that presently the common flu has killed far more people. Uh, uh, some projections are between 10 and 25,000 and this people. Year. This flu season alone have already succumbed, died because of the flu, the common flu, um, the, the seasonal flu. But the case fatality rate for that compared to the number infected is at 0.1% if that. The case fatality rate for the COVID-19 is, is at, at the low end of the spectrum right now at 2.2. That means that, that the, the likelihood of dying from the coronavirus, COVID-19, right now is at least 20 times higher than if you get the flu. Okay, sure. so... So, so it's, we need to put that aside, and, and that information is malpractice and reporting, in my opinion. So that's, that's uh, published in The Lancet. Well, Dr. Robert Redfield, who's the director of the CDC, uh, and I understand a virologist himself, went on record February the 12th in Stat News and saying, right now we're in a containment strategy. We, we now, we, we're sitting in California right now, where just a few hours ago, the second human-to-human -human transmission, uh, a confirmed transmission of the coronavirus um, has occurred uh, in an individual who had no relationship to China, no travel to China, or to anybody else who had traveled to China. So, uh, what, what does that tell us? Uh, in terms of how, uh, our own level of preparedness for, as a family and as a church family, as a community, as a country, as a state. Uh, so Dr. Redfield made a point that, that uh, and this was you know, two weeks ago, that, that until they have confirmation of four generations of transmission, that is, somebody who's infected in the U.S., maybe they brought it back from China or wherever, they infect somebody else, who then infects somebody else, who then infects a fourth individual. Okay, and, and we know that the R0, or the re reproduction number, the basic reproduction number of COVID-19 is, is way above three. It, it's being projected between four and 6.7 or so, and that is the number of people that are infected by each infected person. Okay. So, so this is huge as in terms of how, how the, the doubling rate occurs exponentially over time. So in, in, the, in the money world, we talk about the principle of compounding. Correct. Same thing is happening here. Mm -hmm. it may, you get paid a penny today, and in 30 days, it's millions and millions. In this case, it's anywhere from two and a half to four days. It doubles. Yeah. It doubles. It doubles. And so that's why we cannot wait until we have, you know, you know, uh, thorough investigation of every little case before we make a decision of what to do about it. 
And this is where, where South Korea and, and other countries, as Singapore, are doing a much better job than what we are right here in the United States to testing a lot of people to see where the clusters are and then jumping on them right away. If you wait until somebody becomes in some, uh, symptomatic, you've essentially allowed that person to infect potentially several generations of people, and, uh, and we can't have that. We'll, we will lose that game, or at least we'll, cr we'll allow excessive morbidity, sickness, and mortality death if we don't catch them early. And so, the, so that is why this is such a critical issue for churches and schools. If we actually wait until, until we notice, wait a minute, so-and-so is actually sick, and, and, and uh, maybe next week we'll have uh, te test kits to, to use, because hardly anybody has test kits yet. I heard there's only uh, 200 in all the state of California. Yeah, so, so the, there's, you, you can't wait to confirm the case with, with, uh, with the swab test because the kits aren't available yet. And so by the time we wait for many people to get sick, that means it's already spread everywhere and we risk substantial liability by allowing it to go that far. So we need to thoughtfully have a discussion uh, of uh, what does this mean to us as for churches, for pastors, for, for church boards, and how do they provide leadership within that church to, number one, minimize the possible transmission, where we need to assume at this point, Dan, that there are people around us that are already infected. We, it would be irrational not to assume that. And the reason for that is because it's real. Yeah, okay? and, yeah and, and because we can actually see, we have hindsight in our favor because we can see what, what has happened with other countries when they haven't acted soon enough. And right now, an example of that is South Korea and Italy in our world right now. In Germany, I'm reading a little bit about that this morning. So let's say that a pastor is watching this conversation and he's thinking about his church because in South Korea, I read in the news article that it was a 61-year-old woman who had no symptoms at all, had no idea she had COVID-19, and she went into a church, her church family, and that, I believe, if I recall correctly, the news said that over half of the church a became, huge number. became infected with it, and that was part of the beginnings of what happened in South Korea. In, so a church, a pastor, what should a pastor do to keep a balance between scaring everybody, at the same time, finding a way to approach this that makes sense? And of course, we want to pray. We want to seek divine guidance in these things, but God expects us to yeah. be knowledgeable. The Bible says my people are lost because of a lack of knowledge. And one of the things we're trying to do here is to provide knowledge. So what would a pastor, what would be your, you know, if you were to make a three or four or five items, what should a pastor be thinking about doing in a local church? So the, the, the challenge is, is that knowledge is readily available everywhere. And because of the, the internet, we have access to you know, an exponential amount of knowledge. But how do we apply that in a way where we truly understand the ramifications? So as Malcolm Gladwell said, you know, we, um, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of knowledge out there, yep. okay? Uh, but there's not much understanding. We have lots of the former, very little of the latter, 
And so my goal is to make sure that we present this in such a way that people uh, understand it so that they actually take action. Yes. Because unless we take action, prayer will do us no good at all. And thinking we have about to it, act. And thinking about it and knowing about it is not going to save you either. There's strategies you've got to implement. Right. So, so let, let, let's just in two minutes real quickly set the stage for why this is so critical from a numbers perspective. Okay. The uh, Professor Mark Lipsitch at Harvard uh, University School of Public Health, he's been on the news a lot lately and a very smart individual and epidemiologist, and he has estimated, based on the best mathematic modeling, that between, anywhere between 40 and 70% of the entire world's population will be infected with coronavirus 19. Okay, so, so others, others that, uh, have, have estimated around, four, uh, around 50, 60 um, percent. The, the, uh, if, if you look at, if you look at the, the numbers, let's just assume statistically for a moment, Dan, that 50 percent of Americans get infected. Okay? Uh -huh. and it may be far less than that. It may be more than that. Based on what Los Alamos National Laboratory is suggesting, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be around that. So that'd be 160 million people. That'd be, yeah. So we have a 330 million people that, that, that live in the United States right now. So about 165 million individuals would potentially be infected. Now, the good news is, and, and this is, we can share the good parts of this as well. We need good news. Is that... Uh, even if we look at the data from China, which, you know, we have to take a little bit with a grain of salt because the data from China hasn't always been accurate. Uh, but, but even if we look at that carefully, 81% of people who were infected by the coronavirus, COVID-19, actually did fine. They had mild symptoms, if any at all. And they did not require any medical attention. Yeah. They did not require hospitalization of any kind. So the, the, the key here is that we want to be, if we get infected, we want to be part of that 81%. Absolutely. The problem is that that 19%, let's just round it up to 20%, is huge. So 20% of 50% is 10% of the entire population, which is 33 million individuals, potentially. For this nation. For, for just the United States alone. And, and, and those would be people that would need significant medical attention. Hospitalization may be on the floor. So, so about three-fourths of those would need basic medical attention. Um, but where they can't, be, they can't do that at home. They need, they need a, a doctor watching over them. Professionals. Okay. The, about Roughly 5% or, or a quarter of those people that need attention are going to be critical. And the data out of China is a 49% case fatality rate. If you go critical, half of you will die. That, that has to be considered. Okay, so, but the problem is, is, that, is that that represents what a quarter of, thir of, um, a quarter of uh, 33 million right, is, is what, around 8, mil, yeah. eight million people? Right. There's no, that are not hospital care for that. I okay. think I read that there's 925,000 hospital beds in, in the United States 
And out of that is like 95,000 critical care or intensive That's correct, 95,000 uh, ICU, uh, ICU beds. So, so I, you know, I, I just talked with individuals at Loma Linda University. They're mobilizing for this. They're getting ready to, you know, uh, expanding their hospital into parking lots. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be ready for this. I think hospitals across the but, nation are But we need to do our part. We can't just expect hospitals to do their part because they're only going to be able to do a small part of it. Sure. There's only so many hospitals and so many beds. And, and so, and so the, the, the first thing is, number one, seeking to prevent to be infected, to follow all the precautions that we already understand. We don't have to go over those. Sure. Okay, but... And for anyone, some... anyone who's watching, I just want to say that we have already got video, over six hours of video... That's right. ...with all of this detailed, that you can go on to the Fallbrook Adventist YouTube channel and you'll be able to see those. That's right. And then, so that, that, that presentation was given four weeks ago, tomorrow. That's right. Okay. And then last weekend, I did a full series at the Camarillo Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is on their YouTube channel. But it's also, I trimmed it up uh, to have put it on my YouTube channel, which is just Wes Youngberg. You can find it there. So there's a lot of information Absolutely. available. Take advantage of it. That's right. I want to end with this this uh, call to, to sobriety, to watchfulness, uh, to preparedness. And uh, as I was preparing for a sermon I gave on this just last weekend, uh, you know, preparing for the unthinkable, mm -hmm. uh, it, I, I was looking at the statistics with South Korea. And just four days earlier, South Korea had, had, had learned that they, were, they had a problem. And they had, in just four days, an eightfold exponential rise in cases. Now, to their credit, what they have done is they have, to my understanding, already tested 35,000 people. Wow. Unfortunately, here in the United States, as of a few days ago, we had only tested 455 total for the entire nation. So, so you see that South Korea was far more prepared to get a handle as what's going on, where are the clusters of infected people that that are able to be tested with even early symptoms, not some severe symptoms that then would allow testing. So, so fortunately, this is going to be, that's going to be changing here in the United sure. States, uh, but, but not until probably next week. And essentially, we need to have this testing kit in the hands of every doctor and every clinic and every hospital to be able to test anybody who comes in with any symptoms that are possibly related to uh, COVID-19. So... So, in other words, for those who think that we're overreacting, we just reviewed the actual medical literature on this, and, and there's no way that people can rationally say that we're overreacting. No. In, fact, in fact, if anything, we've reacted too late. Yeah. Okay, so, so, but we need to still act. So you asked the question, what, sh what should a pastor be aware of? Number one is to is to wake up and maybe, maybe read, I think it's page 104 in the book Desire of Ages, uh, on, uh, on the book on John the Baptist in the wilderness, right? Where, where he saw his people uh, uh, deceived and asleep in their sins. They just, you know, everybody's going about their religious duties and everything was good and, Happy. you know, we're waiting yep. for the kingdom of God to be implemented on the earth and, you know, every, everybody's okay. 
but they're asleep in their sins. And I think that most people are asleep. They're, they're, they're absolutely not aware of this tsunami that's coming our way. So, so uh, that number one is, is pay attention to what the actual research is saying, what the actual epidemiologists, the, the world's smartest people in the area of modeling epidemics, what they're saying. Not what some government official is saying that may not be able to speak, you know, frankly at this moment, right? Sure. So, so, uh, so that's number one. Number two is recognize that for all, in all likelihood, there's already individuals present in our own churches here in California and really all around the world. You could, this, this would be true anywhere in the world right now because this epidemic has been fomenting for now over three months. And I think you said 59 countries you read. Yeah, 59, 59 countries, countries are already documenting a problem. And of course, that documentation is probably came a month or more later than it should have. Okay, so um, what are the implications for thinking people that care about their church members, that, that care about their students and educational institutions? And, and so... I remember that as, as, I, as I did uh, my presentation last Saturday, uh, last, actually the, 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 the presentation was on Saturday afternoon that we did, okay. but, but you called me up. You were doing I the did. sermon that day. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you called me up right in the middle of the sermon, and, and we basically had made a, a quick decision right before church, greeters do not shake hands. And, and so what I said is said, I said, do not greet each other with a holy kiss, a hug, or a handshake until further notice. That, that to me, and some people were grumbling, oh, you know, we used to be the friendly church. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is so bad. You know, we need to love each other. Yes, but not in a way that makes us sick and that spreads an epidemic. Remember what happened in South Korea. South Korea has, has been very aggressive at figuring out what to do. But what they were not able to stop initially was that super spreader that came into a large congregational church and infected dozens and dozens and dozens of people and herself. She had, and she had no idea, and they had no yeah, idea. Yeah, and so here's the key. Even on the news today, February 28th, uh, prior to coming to church to film this, they, they, they was, there was a big scare in, 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 in various areas of California, uh, because of what happened at UC Davis Medical Center, where uh, somebody came in, it was transferred from, by another, from another hospital, clearly already on a respirator, clearly critically ill, but they, had, they did not meet all the criteria required to, to get a test kit for uh, COVID-19, because that person had not been to China and had not had not been around anybody else, to their knowledge, that had been to China. And so, and so literally they waited four days before they finally pulled some strings with the CDC to get, to get the, uh, the kit, and then she tested positive. Well, the ramifications of this are this. Number one is that they had to self-quarantine almost 100 healthcare workers from UC Davis Medical Center because of the exposure. Sure. They had been protecting against droplet transmission, three to six feet, sneezing and coughing. They had not been uh, uh, following the precautions for aerosol. Okay, so this can spread very easy. 
This is not like other epidemics that we've had. This is much more infectious than what we've seen. And is that, I've heard it said that this is like a cold. Is that, it, well, you I mean, know, as far as how it transmits? Yes and no. Okay. This is very much like a cold. That's what makes it so deadly okay. because it spreads like, like a cold, except it's, it spreads anywhere from two to four times faster than a cold or, or, okay. or than the flu. Okay, so it's really more like, uh, more like a flu in terms of how it spreads. And, and remember, if you're waiting for a vaccine, fine, okay, but we know that that's going to be a while. But understand that the vaccine, even when, when it matches well to the, to the seasonal flu, we still get many tens of thousands of deaths, okay, or up to that sure. much per year. So a vaccine, even if it works well and it doesn't have any negative side effects, well, will not solve the problem, okay? especially because this virus seems to be uniquely virulent and tricky in how it infects the body. So, so that's why we need, to, we need to first and foremost have our own public health, our own mosaic law, if you will, um, where, where, where we're enforcing in our own churches uh, guidelines that are prudent, that are biblical, that, that are, makes sense and, and would, would, uh, would be appropriate for any public health organization to endorse. Okay, so no shaking hands. Yeah, and absolutely. Of course, that's, that's one of our things in our society and everything. Shake a hand, that's a really positive thing. And we've got to go through a kind of a mental so, process. So one of the things that, that, you know, one of the things we can learn from our, 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 uh, our church members in India is uh, instead of shaking hands, maybe, ah, maybe do the prayer okay. sign. I'm praying for you, brother. And even okay. sometimes okay. they do a, I mean, that's what we were doing is yeah. doing the bump. But even that's a little bit more contact than we mm -hmm. really should be because you could still be sure. transmitting, right? So remember, the, the challenge here is that even talking, you and I together, just, just normal talking could potentially be transmitting viruses. So, so that, that's why we, we need to, number one, and, and this is not, you know, this is not rehearsed. No. Uh, we haven't even prepared for this. We just, We're just sitting down talking An about hour this. ago, we decided to do this. And so, so the, this is just speaking from the heart. And um, the, the number one is we, we need to minimize any physical contact. And, and that's going to be hard in a church setting because we're used to hugging and greeting, kissing sometimes, handshaking. And so the friendlier the church, the higher the risk. So we need to stay friendly, but, but uh, basically appropriately state this from the pulpit and make sure that the greeters are clear about this and that this is, this is stated up front. No, we're not shaking hands. We're just greeting each other. Okay, well, with a holy mean, greeting. That doesn't mean we don't love you. In fact, we do love yeah, you. Yeah, we love, I, I care for you so much. I'm not going to shake your hand. Okay, and, and don't worry about if, 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 if a Chinese fellow come, or, or lady comes up to you and wants to shake your hand and says, I'm not going to shake your hand because I care for you. That's right. Okay, I, and, and I'm not shaking anybody's hands. In fact, in fact, I implemented a policy in my clinic a week ago because, I, because what I do doesn't require the patient to be present, that they, they do it by phone or by video conference. Okay, so I'm just minimizing, I'm, I'm protecting preparing. them. I'm protecting them. So in our churches, number one, we don't have to get together for Bible studies. We can do that virtually. That's right. We, can, we don't have to have any meetings, any board meetings. 
I mean, you tell them what you did just recently. Yeah, I just uh, I had a board meeting this past Tuesday night, but I was scheduled to go back to a uh, a meeting in uh, Kentucky, and I made the decision after a conversation we had earlier that I would tie in by Zoom, and I did that. And so Zoom is a video conferencing platform that that's right. is just like you and I are talking, that's right. except it's a computer screen, and I can't infect you via computer screen. That's right. And there were three of us that participated in the meeting via Zoom, and not just an abundance of caution. Yeah. Yeah, so, so number one, we should only have meetings in person if they're absolutely necessary. So that, that's a really that's important one. thing. So, so it is, this is early on. There's, you know, we keep hearing that the, the, the threat to individuals is very low. Uh, I would say, well, the threat of having a 4th of July weekend right now is also very low, but it's coming for sure. The difference here is that this 4th of July, if you will, is going to come much sooner. Okay? In fact, we're, we're, it's even at the door. So the, the infection is already in California. We know that. It's already most likely in every state of the nation. It's, it's it probably in every country around the world. And the countries that are not reporting are the countries that are simply not able to properly figure this out. And, and so, so the, the, the bottom line is that we need to assume that there's individuals in our congregation that are already infected, uh, but not necessarily symptomatic. So... If anybody in our congregation is symptomatic, they should absolutely not be in church and, and communing with anybody. They should be home, resting, uh, and, and, and we, we learned from the, the Adventist Seminary, the, the Norwegian yes. Adventist Seminary, west of Minneapolis, Minnesota, during the Spanish flu in 1918, that as soon as somebody had even the earliest symptoms, fever, which is a, a temperature of 100.4 or higher. So everybody should have a, a thermometer and should be checking that on a daily basis. So if your, fee, if your temperature goes to 100.4 or higher, you should stay home. You should not go out. You should go anywhere. You should stay home and, and protect rest. And, and, and rest and, and relax. And by the way, I just want to say in our church, we stream every Sabbath the worship service. So a person that is ill is still able to connect and be part of what's happening Absolutely. via the technology. So, so we're actually at the point as, as, a, as a church, as, as a community, where we could actually communicate very effectively via FaceTime on phones, via video conferencing on computers. We can, have, we can have 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 people all together being able to talk to each other and, and listen to a lecture and, and interact with each other through video conferencing. So there's, we need to be thinking about implementing those strategies because if we don't do it, it's going to be imposed on us later. So, so we should expect that within a period of, of weeks, if that, uh, that there's going to be a strong pressure by the government to to uh, close down public, okay, public facilities, schools, and, and discourage people from going to church. Now, that's, not, that's a good thing if it's going to protect the public, sure. but that doesn't mean that we can't have church. In other words, you know, we're in this church right now, and it's just, 
you and I, your wife, and, and Isai, who's the, you know, the mastermind behind you know, uh, filming this. So there's just four people in here, but eventually there are going to be thousands and thousands of people who watch this. Well, church services can be streamed live, many churches, and if your church doesn't, you can find one that does. That's right. There's, there, there's, them. there's literally thousands of SDA churches within the United States alone that stream every Sabbath. Okay? Right. And so, so we need to start thinking about other options. And, 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 and Wes, even if someone is isolating like this, they still need to stay, use their telephone and stay socially connected Absolutely. with other members and friends and family. So isolation is physical, so it doesn't get passed on or got, get worse. But you still need that emotional Yeah, so support. we, we want to maintain that high-touch connectivity without actually touching someone. That's right. We can touch somebody emotionally, but not physically. And one of the things we did here in this church, and we did this four weeks ago after you had that first presentation here, is we have the pumps all around here where people can wash their hands and, and not wash, but, but use yeah, the hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer. So there's those simple little things, you know, I'm thinking of those things that people can do. Yeah. Another thing that we need to do with churches, first of all, the individuals at the greatest risk right now are those with underlying medical conditions, those with diabetes, heart disease, those with lung conditions, asthma, COPD, and, and really in the, it, for their best interest, it would actually be better if they, for now, stayed home from church until we get a handle on this. Because right now, there's just too many questions, and there's a strong likelihood that they're going to be the first to fall in this battle. Sure. Okay, so we know from the, the, the research from China that the case fatality rate for those, those type of individuals is as high as 10%. Okay, so one out of 10 who, gets, who get infected okay, uh, uh, end up end up dying, and that's way, way too high. And, and people don't have to if they take proper precautions. That's right. The other, the other precaution, Dan, uh, would be how we, we like to pass the, the offering plate. And of course, I, I was just, just last Sabbath as after my sermon on uh, preparing for the unthinkable. It was actually uh, titled, um, uh, Wellness Implications of the Parable of the Ten Virgins. So it's a parable of preparedness and a parable of five wise virgins, but also five foolish virgins. So we don't want to be amongst the five foolish churches or five foolish uh, educational institutions that waited until the government to shut them down. And now the students are stuck either in quarantine in the dormitories or, or, um, or they're not able to travel. And so they're stuck for that reason. Okay, so, so we, we need to be thinking, of, and we'll talk more about that sure. in a little bit. But So, so it's the, this gentleman at, at church sat next to me at Potluck, and I knew, I knew what he was thinking because I was thinking it too. I happened to be the first one to go through Potluck because I was the speaker and I was going to be doing a question and answer period at 2 o'clock. Um, but as I did that, I had to pick up every utensil and spoon and, 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 and put food on my plate. And so if I had been infected, every single person that came after me would have been exposed to that virus. And so, so during, during our lunch, this gentleman came and sat down right next to me, and uh, he was listening to the conversation. And uh, in a few minutes, I realized that he's a physician, 
uh, trained at University of San Francisco Medical School. And um, he said, um, he said a, a question about uh, viral transmission here in this potluck line, this, you know, this smorgasbord, uh, you know, serve yourself. And, and, um, and I said, you're right, you're right, this, this, that's a mistake. It's a mistake. And so we are so set in our ways. This is so routine. E even those of us that are most keenly aware of health principles will let something go because we're so used to it. And, uh, and so, so his point was that minimum you should have servers at each area serving people so that they're not touching the utensils. So, so but it raises a larger question that it's, it's very difficult to do potluck and because of the preparation itself, that the individuals who prepare the potluck could potentially be transmitting the virus without realizing it. And of course, nobody would want to do that intentionally. Right, right. And so, you know, I, I hate to even say it, to voice that concern, but prudence would dictate, from a public health standpoint, to, uh, to until we have a better handle on this, to not have potlucks. We shouldn't be, you know, the, the whole idea of going out to restaurants, how do you know that the people who prepared the food for you aren't infected? How do you know, no matter what ethnicity they are? How do you know that the people sitting in the table next to you don't have an infection? So for the near future, let me just go back over for somebody watching and maybe wondering how it all comes. Number one, first strategy, eliminate physical contact. contact. No more shaking hands, at least for the time being, and keeping that down. Yeah. Number two was to uh, make sure that, like uh, we were talking about the offering. Offering plates. Yeah. Offering plates, a way to do that would be to have the deacon stand at the door and people put the offering in as they leave so it's not being passed. That's okay? right. And also in now, some, And then, then they have the issue of transmission because of the, the offering itself too. And so we do there have needs to be, online, you can, that we have online giving. People can actually give their tithes mm -hmm. and offerings online. And that there's no. That would be touch. the safest way to do it. And so, and thirdly, would be potlucks, right? Okay. And then, they, so we talked about that that the elderly uh, who who need contact more than anybody. The elderly are people who get no physical yes. contact at all a week, and they come to church, and that's the only time that they might get one hug, and they they they, they crave that. But but um, if if the elderly have any underlying health concerns they should stay home and then we should be in touch with them. We should contact them. We should make sure they're okay. And that but, may be a strategy a pastor needs to think about for those who do end up self-quarantining or otherwise, have a way of staying, of, of mobilizing the church to stay in touch. And that would be the role of the pastors and the elders to actually set up like little groups uh, of support groups. Like we're, we're going to, you know, take care of you. In fact, that's one thing we're going to have to end up doing is there's going to be people who didn't prepare it all for this, and, and they're going to need food. They're going to need supplies. And, and so that's one of our roles as a community church is to help address those issues effectively and appropriately. Now, the, the flip side of this is, you know, we got the old and the, the, the people who have underlying medical conditions, they really need to stay away from groups, crowds, sure. okay? Um, the, so they should be encouraged appropriately to stay home and then be in touch with us virtually. Now, uh, and then we can bring things to them and so forth. The, then the young families, okay, if anybody has had a temperature or a cough, 
during the week prior, they shouldn't come to church. No matter how otherwise healthy you are. You know, you could be the strongest and healthiest person in, in the world, but if you have a cough, you, you are, you may be able to handle it yourself, but you're affecting other people that might not be able to handle it. And we don't, even if you, even if someone self, uh, quarantines and doesn't come to church, we don't want them to get in that habit. Right. Okay. We right. want them to be once once this is over, we want people in church. Well, we people want crave to be in a church, up. you know. And I, I I hurt. It pains me to even be recommending people not come to church in certain situations. But but prudence dictates that we need to. We just heard today that Pope Francis um, is now is now sick, uh, and they're saying he has cold symptoms. Well. Cold symptoms are also uh, symptoms that relate to to more serious conditions, and and, and, and he in, was comforting. in certain situations, COVID nineteen as well. And so he had been out shaking hands with a lot of people, and he was comforting some of the victims. Yeah, of and this. so we need to be careful how we comfort others, so that we don't end up infecting many many other people. Because the the you, let's, say, let's just say that I am, I'm actually sick but don't know it. I could transmit the virus to you. It would actually take up to 12 to 14 days or longer before you show any symptom or you receive any indication that you have, that you have a problem. During those, those two or more weeks, you could have infected many, many people. Sure, and had no clue. Yeah, and, and, and so, but that's why we're presenting this uh, in this program is so that we don't, um, we don't uh, uh, inadvertently become a typhoid Mary sure. and infect uh, potentially dozens of other individuals, some of which will go to their grave early because of our thoughtlessness or our unwillingness to pay attention to what's really happening. Or our lack of knowledge. So if you're if you have young children and you have you know children with runny noses and and coughing, um, stay home. You know, take care of your children at home. Watch the program. Bring everybody together for the services. Uh, it can be a great church home experience. Uh, and then connect with your your group of individuals that the church uh, puts you together with to to support you. But don't, don't just come to church because that's your one religious experience a week because you're now potentially infecting people that might not make it. Sure. This seems like a good time to interject another thought, Wes. If someone has a family member or someone else that they're responsible to care for or live in the same house with or close by, and that person becomes infected and you're going to be caring for them, you're going to be exposed. That's right. Okay. This paper I've been holding, I've been wanting to bring it up and talk about this. This actually is a, is a reprint of the um, Northern Union Reaper, which was the Seventh-day Adventist magazine printed in, in early 1919. This is re, the date on this actually, I think, is in December of 1918. Correct. Before we had all the antibiotics, before we had all the phar- big pharma and all the things that we have as tools. No today, vaccines, no antivirals. And here is the first part of this, which was kind of just an extra thing, is talking about all the church schools in South Dakota. And all of these is talking about how the teachers were all involved in helping taking care of sick students and families. And there were people that were caregivers as well as those being cared for. 
I couldn't help but just be fascinated reading that. But the big story is the seminary in Hutchinson. Tell us about that. So, so briefly, and, and we expand on this story significantly in the presentations yes. that are on YouTube. Um, but essentially, the, 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 the building that, um, that housed the majority of students and faculty at this Danish-Norwegian Seventh-day Adventist Seminary near Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, was huge, huge building, imposing-looking building. 130 people living in so there? So 120 people in the, in the building. Uh, 90 of them became infected with the Spanish flu. They came down with symptoms as diagnosed by the resident physician. Well, this physician had been trained uh, by the principals of, of the uh, uh, sanitariums of the day, with John Harvey Kellogg and others, and he knew exactly what to do. And so he had a nursing staff where he immediately imposed a bed quarantine uh, of complete bed rest for individuals that showed any symptoms at all. A fever, again, a, a temperature of 100.4 Fahrenheit or higher, um, or a cough, or a runny nose, or sneezing, or malaise, where you just feel, oh man, why am I so sore? You know, why am I feel so bad? Why am I so tired? And, and so any of those symptoms whatsoever, uh, they, they were told that you need to stay in bed. Now, the beauty of this program is that they stayed in bed and they were given plenty of water. They were given the, a healthy, plant-based diet and they, under the watchful eye of the nurse to make sure they didn't you know, you know, you know, start, start studying or doing something that yeah. they shouldn't do. Well, within a day or two, most of them would get well. And of course, you know what you and I would be tempted to do. If Go we're well, man, it. we got to get back to yep. work. We got things to do. You know, we're already behind by two days. Uh, but he, they, he, the, the physician in charge, imposed imposed a a, a therapeutic strategy where the the students or faculty who were, had been sick had to remain in bed for at least two days after they fully recovered, under the watchful eye of the nurses. And, uh, and then many of them actually stayed in bed for five days after fully recovering because there was a significant risk of relapse. The Spanish flu took, took people in waves. There were three main waves over a year's time of the Spanish flu that killed between, between 50 and 100 million individuals worldwide. Now, and that was at a time when the world's population was one quarter of what it is now. So that was very, very deadly pandemic. Well, this pandemic has all the earmarks. In fact, it has a greater infectivity or are not uh, reproduction number than the that Spanish flu. You know, one of the things that really struck me as I looked at this, one of the primary strategies that this doctor, um, give it, get his name in here, Dr. Larson used, was hydrotherapy. Yes. Using the hot and cold. So why, without drugs, that hot and cold, how does Yeah, so hot cold therapies, I, I'm such a fan of this. And the challenge is, is that it's very, very time intensive. It, it requires the full-time attention of one person at least to, to get the fomentations, the Turkish towels or the, the wet, uh, moistened towels that have been heated up in a microwave uh, and then 
are, are placed appropriately. We won't get into the strategies because that's sure. all discussed in the videos sure. about uh, where are they, the, the, the fomentations are placed on the chest and on the back and uh, for five minutes at a time and then cold water is used to rub that down in between three applications. So it takes about 20 minutes to do a full application of hydrotherapy, but that is so, it, it, it basically massages the immune system and the circulation of the body such that it is, it is basically taking the virus that's already in your system and your lungs and it's, it's taking it to other, air, other immune centers of the body that then basically triggers those immune uh, sections to start producing uh, plasma cells or large uh, B lymphocytes that will then produce antibodies. So you're basically you're kill it. cranking up your antibody producing capacity and so you do that back and forth, hot, cold, hot, cold. You're stimulating this, this, this messengers going back and forth, uh, basically activating the factories that build these antibodies. And now your antibody count goes way high. And then if you take a, at minimum, a 20-minute nap right after the hydrotherapy, just laying in bed or on the floor covered by sheet and blankets, uh, and that you're fully dried off afterwards, your, your, your immune system just, and you feel so good and you're able to rest more. You know, when people are sick, yeah. they just hard to rest. So you're actually activating all the things that can fight that using hydrotherapy. Now, the way I do this today is I usually, I love a hot shower. And I have to admit in times past, I haven't always used the cold shower at the end. <laughs> but I have started doing that, getting that cold shower and alternating hot and cold, which also is a, Quick yeah. hydrotherapy. So if you're, if you're, see, he, another one of the, the study uh, statistics that came out of the work that has been done in the last month is that if you are part of the 20% of, of the infected population that gets seriously sick, the good news is that at least in China, not one seriously ill person died. It was only the critically ill people that died. Okay. So, so if you get really sick and you're laboring and you're having a hard time breathing and, and you know, um, uh, or you're, you're, you're starting to notice that, don't, don't feel that all is lost. You just need to get prompt medical attention. Now, what all the public health authorities are saying right now in the United States is if you have a fever, if you have a cough, if you, if you have flu-like symptoms, do not, do not go to the hospital. Uh, if you can call your doctor, but do not even go to the clinic, stay home and rest. And now we're adding the water, okay, lots of water. Yep. The, don't eat junk, even though you feel like eating junk, because that temporarily yep. makes you feel better. But, but that's basically almost guaranteeing that the virus is going to take over. So make sure you eat very, very clean, okay, and then have somebody to do hydrotherapy on you. If you do those strategies and you stay in bed, you know, where you're just bored to death and you just stay in bed and, and stay in bed and rest and rest and rest, there's a very high chance that even if you were slated to go critically ill and half of those would die, you could be saved from that. So yeah. not one individual from that, the 90 individuals at that Seventh-day Adventist seminary died from the Spanish flu. Which incidentally, the, the, there was an article, in, in this article, there is a, um, the health officer for the city of Hutchinson 
said he had not seen anything like this anywhere <laughs> in the world 102 years ago or 101 years ago. Yeah. And he, he said the Hutchinson Seventh-day Adventist Seminary had an incredible thing because of the way they were cared for pre-drugs. So we have an amazing health message. We need to implement it. And that, so the piece I want to come to is that you may, as an individual, be required to help somebody else that has this. And if you that do... That may be their only hope. That may be their only hope. And you, that's a place where you've got to protect yourself as much as you can and pray and do all the right strategies, but be willing to give yourself to help somebody else as well. So, so, so you basically, what's going to happen, frankly, what will happen and what, what should be happening in other areas of the world right now is that there's not enough hospital beds to take care of the people who need it. We certainly know that that happened in yes, China. That's right. Okay, and so, so the only hope is being taken care of by people that are either in your home or people that are willing to come in from next door or nearby uh, that are, are aware of, the, of this health message, of these treatment modalities that are life-saving as they were at that seminary over 100 years ago. And, and I believe that with God's blessing, those, those uh, treatment options or alternatives can be, can be life-saving. Okay? And the, the other great thing about this, Dan, is that not only did not one person die out of all 90 who had been, who had been not just infected, but had come down with the, you know, uh, the Spanish flu, but none of them actually became even seriously ill because they immediately implemented this, pro this program. The, the challenges, and, and I have actually eight books that are, were written on the Spanish flu. And the one thing that struck me over and over as I was reading these books is, is the parallels that we see today. The newspapers and the, the news agencies of the day were saying this is no different than the common flu. They were saying that. They were saying, don't worry about it, just go about your normal routine. And people, would, instead of resting at home because they had symptoms uh, or they were not feeling well, they'd go out to the theater, they'd go out to the plays, they'd go out and do things. And two days later, they're dead because they, their immune system Could not it was not, they, they didn't take advantage that that little window they had available to them to regain momentum to fight and, and overcome this virus. And so we need to act immediately as soon as symptoms occur, whether it's the cold, whether it's the seasonal flu, or whatever virus it is, because, because of the, the imminent threat of COVID-19 to our nation and really every nation of the world, we need to, we need to start implementing these natural strategies immediately when symptoms occur and recognize that we may be already infected for, for several weeks prior to any symptom at all. So that means that we should all, I'm taking the hot cold showers every morning. I do yeah. back and forth, three minutes hot, 30 seconds, all the way cold, then three minutes as hot as I can take it to make sure I don't burn myself, and then back to 30 seconds cold. I do that three times back and forth. We call that the poor man's hydrotherapy. If you're, if you're, that's the easy if you're, you know, if you're not, you know, seriously ill, you can just get in the shower and do that. But if you're seriously ill, you need to somebody to support you and do it for you so that you can be resting the entire time. Sure. Now, we want to go talk about schools in just a minute, but before we do that, we've been talking about these strategies, Wes.
Today, we have a few more strategies available to us than they had in 1918 that Absolutely. even make it better. Uh, hydrotherapy, the hot and cold shower, et cetera, that's a primary. But there are several other key things that, that are available to us, like I know close to your heart is vitamin D, vitamin C, um, the use of, uh, of simple iodine. And lest uh, those listening to this uh, roll their eyes at this moment and say, oh, there we go, Where's the, we're, we're no longer looking at the evidence-based medicine. Um, if you believe that, then, then you need to actually look at the evidence-based medicine because it is there. It is there, and, and we've been using it for decades successfully. And so make sure you optimize the, the key nutrients that can be used as simple remedies to, to shore up the immune system in a powerful way. So, so there, there's, 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 uh, the, the risk is negligible, the upside is dramatic. Sure. So take advantage of these simple remedies. Uh, others in the, in the presentations that we did that are on YouTube talk about the use of, of iodine sprays for nostrils, for the lungs, the um, eyes. For, for, for the face, for the skin, as a, probably the best hand sanitizer ever invented is, is liquid iodine spray. Uh, so this has all been studied thoroughly after the Spanish flu. It's all documented in the medical literature. Uh, look it up if you must. If you're, if, if you're a skeptic, which is okay. I, I've, I've been a skeptic about things like that too until I actually read the studies and, and then saw how they were so powerful. So there's, there's a, there's a, 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 a list of strategies that, that may be actually very beneficial as adjuncts to the fundamental natural remedies. And let me say this, if I had to choose between the simple remedies and, and the natural remedies of rest, of diet, of, of proper water intake, of, of uh, proper stress management, rest. of forgiveness, of all the eight natural remedies, I would pick the eight natural remedies any day. Okay, but, but no, there's no rule, no guideline, uh, no doctrine that says that you only stop there. That, that yes. we, are, we are told that we need to take advantage of every modality that is rational and is reasonable. And that's what we should be doing and educating ourselves about it. Because there's going to come a time much sooner than we realize where we may be the, the only individual in our neighborhood that can save people in that neighborhood that are seriously ill. And, and of course, there's been story after story after story of individuals who, who called upon, uh, upon individuals who had been trained in natural met methods. And that doesn't mean you have to have a, you have a degree. That just means that you've taken the time, maybe a few hours even, to learn these natural methods and then, and then share them with people uh, uh, of any faith or of no faith and, and see what God can do yes. in their lives. Amen. Now let's talk about schools. Uh, I know that I just, I think it was this morning, maybe it was last night, some of these timelines are running together a little bit, but the island of Japan, the entire nation of Japan is shutting down their school system for a month. Now granted, this was part of the spring break time. And then another month, and then another month. Yeah, okay. So they're <laughs> shutting down in yeah. this isolation, this social isolation policy. Yeah. And we're on the schools. verge of social isolation policy. It could be within days here in California. Uh, because Dr. Robert Redfield from the CDC, he basically said two weeks ago, if containment fails, we move to the next policy, which is social isolation. That's exactly what he called it. 
um, and, uh, and, and so, which, which is important. You have to, which means that there's going to be uh, restrictions of travel between communities, yes. right? Which means that there's going to be restriction of air travel, even within the country and within, within the states. That's what's happened uh, in China. And, and, and we, we're not really clear on exactly what they're planning because they don't want to, they don't want people to panic. But, but the reality is that if I was in charge uh, of the public health program, I would be, do, that's the logical thing to do next. But, but we need to have mitigation strategies where people understand that it's not just stay home and wait it out uh, versus the hospital. There's many things that we can do while we're waiting it out, which means we need to prepare for them. And then we need to understand how to implement them, not only for ourselves, but for those that will be dependent on us, even though there may be a neighbor we've never talked to, they, they will be dependent on us to take care of them. Otherwise, they may go critical and pass away. Sure. So in a school situation, let's say that you're a principal or you're a teacher, and this could be in a, if a public school teacher is watching us or if a private school, the Adventist education... Well, the public schools will be closed first because the government controls that. Sure. Okay, and, uh, but it would be sad that we would have to take the lead from the public school system. We should, because of our emphasis in healthcare as a church, because our, our strong uh, background in, in our health message and public health, we should be taking the lead sure. on this. And, and, and basically, you know, uh, reading the signs that are all around us. It, it doesn't take, uh, you know, a, a, a super intelligent person to be able to forecast that there's going to be problems in our schools. All, and so I have been sharing with some school administrators over this past week, um, uh, around the United States at least, uh, just, just raising the, the thought, what if one of your students became, became sick uh, and, and actually was confirmed to have COVID-19. Of course, uh, doctors are now saying that the, 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 C, the, the CT scans are actually much more uh, sensitive instruments for detecting this disease than the actual swab. throat or sinus swab, uh, the, the PCR test. So, so uh, I think more and more physicians will be using the CT scan because they have ready access to it and they can see the, the, the problems with the lungs, uh, the ground glass appearance, they'll paste these, and, they, and then they'll be able to make a decision to isolate them right away rather than infecting so many other people and staff in the meantime. And so if that were to happen, what happens to your school? What happens to the other students who are in the dorm who, who have been using communal showers and bathrooms and in and out of rooms and the, you know, the vents? It's basically you're in a big cruise ship. A dorm is just a big cruise ship, and we know how that went with the Diamond Princess. Yes, we do. Okay, so so if, if, if we take any message from that, we, we should be actually uh, making uh, choosing to err on the side of caution. Uh, and, and I have raised the, 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 you know, one of the options for schools is that there's many universities that do everything online. Distance learning. The technology is it's readily there. available. Uh, because of what is happening in the timeliness of this epidemic, uh, that has hit, hit also uh, South Korea and Japan, countries that you know, are, are mobilizing far more rapidly than we are right now, 
uh, and but you see that it took about a week for them to close the schools. It, yeah. from, from the time that it started going exponential, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it didn't happen until there was over 2,000 cases. Now, you know, we could, who knows? We don't know how many cases uh, we'll get and how soon, but it would be, seem reasonable to me, Dan, I agree. That, that, in the event that, that school administrators should err on the side of caution and at least offer their students the option to leave early so that they can fly home and be where they're comfortable to ride this out, if it were to get as bad as we fully expect it will, sure. uh, and, and do everything, all the learning virtually, where the teachers provide information over, over the internet and the tests can be done virtually, just like most universities can already do. So there's, I don't now see any downside to that. That's the university level or, or a boarding high school level. But Correct. what about a regular school where kids come from home and come to class and they haven't closed it yet? If there was only three or four days or two weeks that a teacher or a... What would they be doing to educate the kids, to help them understand it? To well, maybe... obviously they should be having discussions like we're having right now. Uh, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I've been, I've been talking to my daughters, you know, who are in Washington State, and they're like, you know, they're like... They're, there's dad talking again, right? Yeah, and yeah. so a yeah, prophet is not honored in his own country, right? Uh, and so, <laughs> and so I, I realize that. I, I realize that, that you know, I, I, I talk to my daughters today, you know, and I just kind of, I just let them know where this is going. And I'm now letting my wife do more, most of the talking because she's been the one that was more incredulous. And now she's going, now she sees it. Sure. It's pretty obvious to her now. And it should be obvious to anybody, Okay, but a lot of people are still not paying attention, and, it's, and it, you'll, you'll wake up one morning, and, and the world's going to be a totally different place, never to come back to where it was before. Yeah. So this, this, this is going to be far more disruptive, potentially, than 9-11 was, uh, or any other event in history. So I hope I'm wrong. I, I will eat crow if I'm wrong, but, but I, I will feel even worse if, if, if I'm right and I didn't say something. And I think that's where the prudence of this conversation comes into play. And for anyone who might be watching us uh, from now through the next month or two months, you'll actually be able to see what really happened. We're talking about what we think is going to happen. People watching this will be able to but say, it's, well, it's this not, happened. It's not just some, something that we dreamed up, no, you know, it's some it's vision real. we received. This is, this is information that we've been told for over a month from the top mathematic modelers in the world they're saying it's coming. It's, it's, it's already here. Yeah. You just don't see it because you don't have symptoms yet because you're not, you're not coughing uncontrollably. You're not, you're, not, you're not down and out. But it's, it's going to come. And we now know as of February 28th, today, we have two confirmed human-to-human -human transmissions in California. And we have one person in, in the hospital on a respirator. And, and there will be deaths. And hundreds exposed. There will be deaths. And, and if, if, if we learned anything from South Korea, right, they, they, they went from just, just a little over a week ago, just a few cases, right, to now uh, over 2,000 cases and 16 deaths. In one and, week. In one week. And so, so pay attention and whatever we can do this, uh, as soon as you see this, whatever we can do this weekend, whatever we can do in the next few days to prepare. Uh, I think our, our pastors and our administrators need, need to, to form groups, just like Moses was, 
was uh, encouraged mm -hmm. by his brother-in-law, you know, his to father-in-law uh, father to to um, to develop little groups uh, so that people can support each other and make decisions and and get through this, That's because right. uh, otherwise we will have failed as as shepherds of this flock. Well, in my heart, I recognize that we're in uncharted water, but yet we know. It's just uncharted from the experience of our generation, perhaps. But I just pray that God will sustain us, will help us to make good decisions, because that's the big deal. If we make good decisions, we'll protect ourselves. If we are careless with it, who knows? And so it's my hope and prayer that pastors, teachers, anyone watching this, Wes, will, yeah. will say, hey, I can do something to prepare. And I hope that maybe our discussion has given people some ideas, some very simple things. And I want to just... Uh, In other words, there's hope. That's right. There's this, great this, hope. This, this is not the end of the world. No. Okay, this is an opportunity, even though, you know, there's, there's estimates uh, by Harvard and Los Alamos that over 50 million people will die worldwide from this. So this is... This yes. is not the, the, the common flu. No, it's this not. This is not. Absolutely not. This is way, 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 way worse. And, but, but we can actually dramatically cut that back if we as a, as a Seventh Adventist church, um, as, as, a, as a large Protestant educational institution around the world, if we start implementing these, these natural methods that are, are tied to the Seventh Avenue's health message, which is designed for the world. They're not, it's not for us. No. This, is, this is for us to share with the world so that we can protect them, so that we We're can give serve. them hope. We're to serve we can the world. give them some, something to actually do, so, something that's actionable, that actually works, as opposed to just sitting home and, and, and being fearful uh, of something they don't fully understand yes. and then leading to rioting and, and unrest. No, there's... We need to be active showing people with, um, with uh, calmness of spirit that God is in control and that God has shared these natural methods with us so that we can help each other yes. and we can help those who otherwise would not have any help. And you know, in spite of the challenge we see, I have a calm that I believe is from God. Absolutely. And I want to be as prepared as I can and be as helpful as I can to anybody else that is out there. And I know that's exactly your philosophy as well. Now, I just want to say for anyone viewing this, if you want to go onto youtube.com and go to the Fallbrook Adventist YouTube channel or the Wes Youngberg um, YouTube channel, right. there will be continuing information that will probably be posted as time goes on. And Wes, it's been a good discussion. And, uh, and I won't shake your hand? Nope. God bless you. Thank you. So we encourage you to maintain your distance. That's right. Okay, and, uh, but, but, but pray. Pray for each other uh, and to pray that God will see us through this by using his proven methods. Amen. All right, thank you and God bless you for watching. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.